again, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to NTI's Japan Real Estate Property Investment Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima, again. Glad to have you with us today. We've got another treat for you today. Um, with us on the line from Tokyo is Jason Ball of the BIJ and Good People Japan Networking Community. Jason probably requires no introduction to those among you who are already conducting business in or with Japan on a regular basis. But to those who aren't, Jason is an Australian living in Japan for about 15 years now, an IT management professional by trade. But it's his other hat that we're more interested in today, the hat under which he set up and manages Japan's biggest English-speaking professional business network, which now has over 55,000 members on LinkedIn. And he's also recently launched the uh, BIJ Business in Japan blog with contributions from Jason himself and other members of the BIJ community. In English, you can find the blog at www.businessinjapan.com and it's highly, highly recommended to anyone who is doing or considering doing any kind of business in Japan or with Japanese companies, whether it's in a B2C business to client or B2B business to business environment. Jason, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Jim. Um, could you first maybe share with our listeners Having lived and conducted business here for close to 15 years now, or just over, in what context did you first become aware of Japan at all? What drew you to the country? Sure. For me, I guess I was a bit atypical. I'd helped a friend of a friend cram for a phone interview for a, for a job in Japan, and he was leveraging his Japanese language fluency and very little IT knowledge to get a job with a firm here in Japan who dispatched IT workers to banks and other mostly foreign firms, but where bilingual engineers were in short supply and so commanded a high monthly fee and paid a good salary. And he got the job and a year or so later invited me first to come work with him at the company he worked for and then later to come work for him in his own company, which he had started. So I uh, hadn't studied Japanese at school, wasn't into anime, manga, or any other Japanese cultural aspects, with the possible exception of martial arts, but not really traditional Japanese martial arts. I spoke no Japanese and had no connection to Japan except for a couple of friends here. And if someone had asked me before that time, would you work overseas, I would have said in a heartbeat, but I would have guessed uh, England, Germany, Europe somewhere, or China before Japan. So I was pushed uh, and drawn to Japan. And what pushed me was a, a general dissatisfaction was with where I was in life and in Australia at the time, where I was going with job and income relationships. And what drew me was the exciting opportunity that was being presented to me. Exciting opportunity um, in what way exactly? And how do these um, points that excited you then translate over to the uh, business or work environment here from your experience? Yeah, well, I guess uh, the first and perhaps most important for me was uh, coming to realize what a soft landing it was in Japan. I arrived one Saturday evening in Golden Week, April 2003. And by 7 a.m. next morning, I was disconnecting computers and workstations on a investment bank's trading floor. Oh, wow. That is a soft landing. <laughs> so within six months, I'd taken over from my boss or employer, a 
guy who brought me over to Japan, allowing him to go out and develop his business rather than have to be on site at the client full time. And I was dropped into a very efficient client and vendor-based ongoing project team that worked very well together and communicated well and appreciated what each person brought to getting the job done. And I still remember that first job very fondly. And uh, it may have been the best working environment I've uh, ever had. Mm. I consider myself pretty lucky to have experienced it. But not ending there, it, it really did launch a brand new career here in a foreign country for me, allowing me to hit the ground running, developing self-confidence in my abilities and always giving me a best practice ideal team process and work environment to refer to and compare in every job I've had thereafter. So you've started working and living here and over time, obviously, you've felt the need to share your experience and the experience of other people like you with newcomers to the market. So what are the most typical questions or requests that you get approached with most often? And what are the answers that you find yourselves giving typically? Probably with, with a lot of uh, visibility online and in the Tokyo community as a connector of people for business and work. Unsurprisingly, the most common requests that I get um, is to help someone either sell a product uh, or service in Japan, get a job, or find an employee. So the majority of approaches are from foreigners and usually from outside Japan. So to someone wanting to enter the Japanese market, make sales in, with, or from Japan on uh, what's commonly called a success basis or commission only, I usually start with gently informing people that this model may work in some rare cases, usually where a relationship exists between the person who will invest their time and skills and network and, and the company wanting the sales. But for the most part, that model's not common here. People with the ability to do that are unlikely to do it on a commission basis for someone they don't know and trust. And frankly, they've got more immediate opportunities to spend their limited time on. Mm. Contingent recruitment um, is commission only, so it's a possible exception for some. Um, but a, a company with multiple hires required are willing to use a recruitment firm for they can expect to pay about 30 to 35% of on-target earnings as a fee. So if they're not looking for multiple hires, just, just looking for one, and it's not someone very senior like a country manager, they might have trouble finding takers and uh, getting their recruitment prioritised with any firm that says they will help them. But outside of recruitment, the advice for success is basically have a budget, be serious, have a plan to visit when necessary and uh, possible and hire or contract people with local knowledge to work for you. If you aren't ready but want to test the market, just uh, pay for a simp simple market feasibility st study or engage someone to uh, test the, the waters for you. And uh, finding an expert in your industry here in Japan to talk to, paying if necessary to get in touch with someone is, is another option. And for those wanting to find work here, usually um, they're not bilingual and 
for those outside the country, most have no visa allowing them to work unless they're married to a Japanese or something like that. And my advice to them is usually based on the fact um, the type of work available to non-Japanese speakers is limited to a few industries and areas in those industries. So huge categories of work um, that some people think might be open to them uh, are not. For example, unskilled work like working in a bar or construction, um, not the sort of work, not yet at least, that uh, you could get a visa uh, sponsorship for and approval for. And uh, in something like construction, for example, not speaking Japanese is going to mean there's not uh, very many roles here at all anyway. And government work, civil civil work, um, a huge amount of the service industry and, and office work, that sort of, uh, sort of blue-collar work, this, those sorts of roles are simply not open to Japanese, uh, non-Japanese-speaking foreigners. Right. And if you're native English-speaking, of course, the fastest route to get here is English teaching. The largest uh, employer of English teachers from outside Japan is currently a company called Interac, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently they've got a low salary and, and uh, it's unlikely you get a post uh, in Tokyo or Osaka, but they pay enough to, to live on and get yourself established, arguably. <laughs> and if you're not English-speaking, then coming here with a, a strong plan of what you're capable of or uh, to meet some, some people and investigate some avenues of um, how you're going to meet more is, is a must, really, because it's the people you know and the people that they know that uh, might be able to find you an opportunity. Yeah. Through the front door, which uh, is recruiters, job boards, um, uh, ads, job ads, um, HR and company website applications, they're not likely to lead to a job from outside the country unless your skills or experience are unusually different, rare. The company um, that uses uh, and people that use this method are looking for ideal candidates and non-Japanese speaking foreigner is always going to be a compromise at best. Something these channels um, don't really exist for. Recruiters especially are not there to find people jobs so much as they are to work to find ideal candidates to match job descriptions, usually unrealistic ones, <laughs> for companies <laughs> paying a, a, th- a third or more of the, the hires annual salary. Right. That's um, excellent advice for anyone looking for a job. And what do you find in your experience that it takes to be successful in the Japanese business environment? Aside from sales and the penetration that we've discussed, the characteristics of a successful business person working within or with Japan, and are those characteristics um, linked at all um, to those required to personally integrate into society here? Um, Well, I guess you need a, a genuine like or interest in Japan, the culture and the people the market in general, and you need a product or service that's either already clearly famous uh, 
and successful on a global scale, or you're connected already to a Japanese or foreign old hand here who's well experienced in your target market or industry um, to represent you, right. and they can uh, take what you have and place it with exactly the right distributor or with a lot of money behind you or behind them into exactly the right B2C consumer market maybe. Mm. Either that or you need a budget, time, tenacity, patience, a network, strong relationships and be trusted or build that trust. Mm. The passion and energy to push through, to make presentations, to make sales, deliver great during and after sales support um, and service until you reach the what you're looking for, the success you're looking for. Mm. Um, another assumption or related assumption or mistake is underestimating how long the sales and decision-making process is in, in Japan. Mm. B2B, um, depending on the product or service you have and the size of the client, there isn't one decision-maker. The importance of the decision-maker in the Western sense needs to be spread over a wide set of important players and companies. If people are interested and, and lucky, they, they can hire sales trainers to teach some of this, or at least that's what I've heard. Right, that's excellent advice. Thank you. And just to tie into the current state of affairs, both here and globally, what are the unique challenges that you see facing Japan these days, um, particularly as far as the international business arena is concerned? Maybe because of its proud um, homogeny as a society, it's inward, in some cases, insular domestic market only focus. Some of Japan, a reasonable percentage of people in business with influence, seem to have little or no idea how to engage internationally to understand the international opportunity and have a real limited ability to put themselves in the shoes of a foreign person, country, or business market. This probably still drives part of the lingering domestic market focus here uh, in some industries and companies today. Mm. In the boom times, um, same sort of culture worked in Japan's favour, building you know, what the world wanted and didn't even know they wanted and at a price that matched the, the draw of the quality they became well known for. It's, it's understood here generally that a lot of leaders in Japan are older men, seemingly incapable of letting go of that era. <laughs> They're quite content to wait out until their retirement without too much change and with as little risk as possible. And um, what we're seeing in the news and the number or volume of scandals is, is uh, shows just how long some pretty well-known companies have been trying to hide what they've been doing just to try to keep the dream of yesteryear alive. Yeah, absolutely, or what they haven't been doing. <laughs> is this exactly. um, 
Is this different now compared to how you remember things when you first came here? Have you seen Japan changing at all over the course of that time? I mean, at least as far as openness, uh, communication with foreigners or the outside world is concerned? Oh, absolutely. Uh, first to change has always been the tourism industry. When I arrived in Japan in 2003, there was still a faint remainder of the boom years of American and Western society loving Japan for uh, the same way it was stereotypically known for a while. Yeah. Um, and Japanese in the tourist uh, business, tourism business then would pretty easily tell me how they'd love to get more tourists, you know, Americans, Australians, Canadians, Europeans, when you asked uh, about the Reality of statistics, though, the numbers of Chinese, Korean, Korean <laughs> tourists, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Thailand, they weren't really that keen to, to even discuss that sort of thing and mm. mumble something and change the subject. But these days, anyone serious in business that's impacted by inbound tourism knows exactly where the money's coming from and has tailored their business to that market. Right. And in that sense, then... Japan, in larger cities at least, has changed dramatically and it's far more open than they were just five or six years ago. And the Rugby World Cup coming up next year and the 2020 Olympics the year after that means the drive to acceptance and more openness is it's not slowing down yet. It's pushing deeper into any prefecture with a draw for tourists. Mm. Yeah, we've been feeling that um, in the real estate industry as well, especially as far as um, Tokyo or Osaka are concerned. Okay, great stuff. Thank you. And just to wrap things up, where do you see opportunity for foreign companies and business people in the near to medium future? Um, let's talk industries, technologies, or fields of expertise, um, areas of investment, things that are taking off or might be taking off here in, in coming years. Well, Japan's a consumer market, so if, if you've got a product that's successful in other large markets, uh, with the right partner, distributor, and strategy, there's no reason it can't be successful here. Of course, there are some industries and areas which I'm noticing a lot of activity in, uh, and in relation to Japan, areas like cryptocurrency, and ICOs, and tokens, and exchanges blockchain, fintech, that sort of stuff, but also real estate and property investment mm. like you're in. Um, pharma and medical devices is a deregulating market here. In the casino or integrated resort business. Yeah, that's coming soon, coming. isn't it? <laughs> mm. Okay, yes. that's great, Jason. Thank you. A lot of stuff for people to really dig into there. Um, really appreciate your time and insights. Thanks for being with that's us today. Um Folks, we're going to have the Business in Japan website linked to in our episode notes. That's businessinjapan.com. Do make sure to visit. Plenty of great content to discover there if you've got any interest at all in doing any kind of business um, here in the land of the rising sun. That's it from us today. Thanks for tuning in again. And as always, we'd appreciate if you could share or link to this podcast if you found it interesting. Comment or ask us or Jason anything on whichever channel you found us in. And if you can spare a moment please leave us a rating on the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, YouTube, or wherever you may have found us. 
And until next time, for all, all of us here at NTI and Business in Japan, we wish you, as always, happy investing. Music